right, folks. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. We got hot, hot off the presses. Got some hot topics for y'all today. I'm going to be talking about shofars. Hot ovens. Yeah, hot pigeons. Yeah, Emily's going to be talking about some hot, hot pancakes, <laughs> hot latkes. Hot pigeons. Jace is going to be talking about the number three. Everyone knows one of the hottest of the numbers. Mm, so hot. So hot right now. That's Yeah, that's what we're going to be diving in today. So I'm going to start us with the... Uh, a shofar. What do y'all know about shofars? I, I know nothing about it. <laughs> Let me back up. Okay. We read a verse about blowing the cornet and the trumpet in particular. Mm-hmm. And then Eugene in the message translated the cornet to the shofar. Yeah. Um, so shofar is a it's an instrument made out of a horn, particularly. Yeah. Oh, I knew yes. that part. That part I knew. Usually like a ram's horn or something. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Interesting okay. rules and exceptions and information about the shofar and how we can okay. make it and how we can't make it and how we can use it and how we can't use it. Hmm. So I guess it's actually okay for the horn to come from a non-kosher animal because it's not required to be... Now, the specific phrase that I'm going to butcher is mutar befika, which translates to permissible in your mouth. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry, what? In your mouth. So This is about... Shofars. Oh, because some horns are unclean? Yes. Well, some animals are unclean, uh, right? But it's okay because you're not eating yeah, it. Okay. Okay. You're just blowing it. Oh, is there like a different standard of cleanliness for things you kiss versus things that you eat? Oh, boy. I think so. Are you categorizing blowing a, oh, boy. an instrument as kissing yeah, it? Yeah, you're kind of kissing your trumpet or your cornet or your shofar or whatever. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, so the whole thing in Judaism is that hearing the sound of the shofar is a mitzvah. It's a blessing, okay. essentially. Hmm. And it falls under the purview of objects that you use to perform a mitzvah that don't have to be inherently holy themselves. So okay. the shofar falls into this weird category of like, it doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be kosher. It doesn't have to be holy necessarily, but you use it to do holy things. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Now, there is an order of preference of what kind of animal you use for its horns for a shofar. So, preference number one is a curved ram's horn. Yeah, okay. Rams, so hot. Love those. Preference number two. We can't... If we're fresh out of rams, uh-huh. <laughs> number two, a curved other kind of sheep. Now, if we're fresh out of sheep also, okay. preference mm-hmm. number three is a curved other kind of animal. <laughs> um, <Okay>. So, it's <laughs> rams number one. Other sheep, number uh-huh. two. Literally anything yes. else with horns, number three. <laughs> okay. Well, there's more. This, this, the list keeps going. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, because then preference number four is a straight horn, ram or otherwise. Mm. Preference number five is a horn from a non-kosher animal. And then preference number six is from a cow. Okay. Uh, oh, so cows Look. get their own separate category. Preference. Cow, cows are the bottom of the list. Yeah. I say. We really do not prefer getting a shofar horn from a cow, but if we have no. to, we will. Wow. Weird. I know, right? Weird. Right? Huh. So I guess it can look many different ways. The shofars that I always imagine were from a, a kudu horn, like the big, long, curly, whirly, like kind of right. corkscrewy mm-hmm. sort of shaped And what's horn. a kudu? Is that a type of ram? Or some other it's a sheep. type of grazing animal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A sh- did you just say shooty? What? What? 
What did you say? <laughs> What's a what grazing animal? A kudu. A kudu. Sorry. Yes. I don't know why I heard the word shooty. <laughs> I think I like Are you drunk? conflated <laughs> like two things that Jason Dedeker said at the same time. I love it. I love it. <laughs> now, Anyways. here's I have more trivia for you. And you music theory nerds maybe would appreciate this, but this is from the Wikipedia for the shofar. It says, because the hollow of the shofar is irregular in shape, the mm. harmonics obtained when playing the instrument can vary rather than a pure perfect fifth. Mm. Intervals as narrow as a fourth or as wide as a sixth may be produced. Whoa. Really? That's wild. That's sorry, my mind just got blown right there. I know no one else cares, but this is drunk music theory no, I study. Care. I care. Uh-huh. And that's wild. I mean, like, okay, if you think about it, if you think about it for a moment, though, like, say on a bugle, uh-huh. right? It's so like a bugle is like a trumpet or a cornet or any of these instruments we're talking about, but there's no valves, right? Much like a shofar. Okay. There's no valves on yes. a shofar. What does that mean? That How do you... Yeah, so like a bugle where it's not like a trumpet, there's no valves, there's no mm-hmm. holes, like nothing to control the pitch. It's it's purely based on your embouchure. And for you people who are not music nerds, basically your embouchure is like the positioning of your lips. Yeah. How, how tight your lips is. How tight. Exactly. You know, while you're blowing it. But so that's why all of the like classic bugle songs that everyone knows, of which there are two, which is Reveille and Taps. Those are like mm-hmm. the two bugle songs that everyone knows. What those do is they follow the harmonic series. So basically, it's like you you blow the lowest pitch you can blow on it, and that's one note. And then when you pitch your, like you tighten up your embouchure, the next one ups an octave from that. And then the next one ups a fifth from that, and then a fourth mm. from that, and then a third from that, and then a minor third from that. And that's why you end up with these songs like Taps and Reveille that are just kind of outlining this one, five, one, three, five, one kind of way that they construct their melodies. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you'd have an instrument that doesn't follow that but that you play roughly the same way is kind of blowing my mind right now. And that's something I need to look into more because it, it's like defying... <laughs> now you want to get one. Now and... you can now you can acquire a shofar. Yeah. Well, I'll have more information about that for you okay. later on. Okay, great. So okay. shofar is still used today in a lot of Jewish ceremonies. Back in the day around this time, probably would have been used all the time with a lot of holidays. Yeah. Love it. And ceremonies. Now it seems to be mostly associated with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur mm. as well. Okay, sure. Makes sense. So um, now I'm not going to go through a whole holistic history about the shofar because that's a lot. I'm just going to hit you with the weird stuff that stood out to me when I was okay. reading about it. Okay. So for instance, uh, Jewish law rules that the Rosh Hashanah shofar blasts um, may not be sounded on Shabbat due to the potential that the shofar sounder may inadvertently carry it, which is a class of forbidden work on Shabbat. Oh, because if you carry your shofar out that's and work. play it, that's bad. Don't you yes. would have to do that. Okay, yeah. Yes. Wow. Well. Okay. Now, a lot of very particular rules as well. So first of all, I really like that the expert who blows the shofar is termed the Baal Tokea or the Baal Tekia, which literally translates to master of the blast. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> also great. Very cool. That's like something that uh, Eugene would say in, yes, in the message. Definitely. Master of the blast. Definitely. Very lame. Some klezmer music. Yep, yeah. Love it. yeah. Uh, they clarify that if a shofar is blown into a pit or a cave, one receives the mitzvah if you heard the original sound, but not if you just heard the echo. 
Doesn't count. Wowza. Okay, wow. Okay, so Echoes of Shofars, that's not a mitzvah. No. Just the direct. But the original sound. Wow. Now, to bring that more into the modern day, uh, most modern Jewish law, Jewish law authorities, yes, they mm. claim that hearing a shofar on the radio or on the internet is not valid to satisfy the mitzvah. However, yeah, that makes sense. Quote, this, this tracks. Quote, one should consult a competent rabbi if an unusually pressing situation arises, as some authorities believe that performing mitzvah through electronically reproduced sound is preferable to not performing them at all. So it's there like in go. a pinch. Mm, I see. If you must mitzvah, listen to a recording. That shit. Yes. Yeah. But is it is it like if it's a recording of a ram's horn shofar, then like maybe. But if it's a cow's, that's already bottom <laughs> of the tier. And then to also be on the recording is just no good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can buy a shofar if you like. Really? Where? Anybody can buy one. Oh, all kinds of place, oh, places. Oh, don't worry. I'm, now, already, I'm already on it. Where I ended up was a company Dedeker, called... Dedeker, you're going to have a chauffeur like tomorrow. <laughs> well, hold on. I've got some personal stories about the chauffeur myself. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the website I ended up on is a Canadian company called Shofar So Good. <laughs> ah, so good. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay. I'm going to buy one from there because that's... Yeah. Now, they will set you back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They will set you oh, back okay. quite a bit because I think the cheapest Shofar on here is $160. Okay. It's probably Canadian dollars. The most expensive is getting up into almost $700. Okay. Um, $160 so, is like, what, in American yeah. dollars, it's probably like 100 bucks. Eh, yeah, maybe around there, something like that. They're, they're proud of them for sure. Okay. Now, the funny thing is, so I grew up, oof, my parents, when I was like 11 or 12 or 13, mm-hmm. they were Christian, but they fell in with this crowd of essentially Jews for Jesus. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- basically, I don't know what the status of this is nowadays, but back then... Well, so I don't understand that at all, but maybe someday you'll tell me. <laughs> yeah. The whole Jews for Jesus movement, it basically meant Christians could do as much appropriating of the Jewish culture as they wanted, and it was great. Mm. Um, <sighs> so that means that I grew up listening to a lot of Christians badly playing the shofar because they wanted to. Got it. Oh, really? That's... Like oh. at prayer circles or at ceremonies or stuff huh. like that. Like imagine like imagine if you ever, ever heard of like a third grader who's yep. just learning, who's just in music class for the first time. Just learning the recorder. <laughs> not, the, not the recorder, the trumpet. trumpet. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. some embouchure instrument. They've just been handed a trumpet and it's like their first attempt at trying to blow a trumpet. Mm. Like imagine how that sounds. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Boy. It's a lot of like. <laughs> yep. I've heard a lot of shofar played that way. <laughs> that was 100% accurate reproduction of what it sounds like, by the way. <laughs> so, so I did have to, I did, I did listen to some YouTube videos of people who are actually competent at playing the shofar. I still wouldn't say it's the most pleasant sound. But at least people with comp, you know, confident, competent embouchure are more pleasant mm-hmm. to listen to than someone who's just like, I'm just going to stick this in my mouth and blow and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I'd say that's fair to say of most instruments. Yes. Just being skilled yeah. at them makes them a lot nicer yes. to listen to. Correct. Toads. <laughs> that's what I got about shofars. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Okay. Amazing. I mean, while you were talking about that, I went down this rabbit hole of looking up the cornet. 
Because I'm also like, that's not an instrument at this time. So what were they thinking translating it? The fun trivia I found there is that the cornet uh, actually had valves. Oh. Like a trumpet does today. Really? Like a hundred years before they put those in a trumpet. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, it was like the instrument you needed if you wanted to be able to actually play melodies that you needed the valves for. Uh, So that's kind of fun. Okay. But that's not actually what I looked up. What I was looking up was, so in Hosea 6, there was this message of like on the third day, Yahweh is going to... Do some shit. Raise us or make make things good again or whatever. Uh-huh. And the third day, uh, slight spoiler alert, the third day is, you know, Jesus was died and was buried. And then on the third day is when he rose from the dead. That's... Yeah, was resurrected and came out of that hole. Yep. The cave. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, sure. A hole in a, a hole in a mountain. Anyways. It was a cave hole, right? Yeah. Yeah, cave hole. Sure. That's what we call yeah. those. Got it. And I remembered from years ago learning about the number three in some kind of a class. And I, I can't remember if this was an English class or a history class or what, but basically it was talking about how the number three it has been significant for a long time, much longer yeah. than Judaism was ever around and, mm-hmm. and you know, dating way back before that and also across all sorts of different cultures and things like that, that three's kind of been around forever as this significant number. And I was hoping to find some kind of more specific concrete, like this is why three, uh, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't Mm. find that. But basically what I found is that it's featured in all sorts of different pagan traditions from like old pagan traditions in China to like Celtic traditions, uh, India, like all over the place, right? Like this thing was everywhere, this number three. And it's things like, let's see, what are some, what are some good examples here? Uh, one of the oldest symbols, the symbol, I'm going to uh, see Chintanami, which is the sign of happiness, which is an ancient like Indian pagan symbol, has mm-hmm. like three parts to it. There's the Trinity symbol that was part of um, like paganism and stuff like that. They had their own kind of Trinity thing, like Celtic paganism, sorry, uh, that that was like a shape made of three different things. And also then like the triangle, there's like Pythagoras oh, yeah. and all of his sort of stuff about triangles being threes. Mm. And then there's also kind of um, things that are like close to three, which came up in what I was looking at, which is stuff like pi being significant. Uh, yeah, like three-ish. Three-ish. There's like the rhythm of heartbeats is this boom, oh. boom, 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 boom. It's one, two, three, one, two. Three, one, two, three, mm, wow. one, two. It like almost fits in three. It's not quite exact. It's again, it's like pi-esque, right? Of being close to three, but not quite. Mm. Um, there's the golden ratio, which is close to like one third, but not quite. You know, there's there's all these sort of things kind of based around three. And anyway, and I don't know how they're all connected because it's one of those hard things to research because it's been around for so long. I did find though that in the Bible, the number three is mentioned like 400-something times. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah, and that it's not the most common number in the Bible. The most common number in the Bible is the number seven. Hmm. Uh, but three is one of the next most. Fascinating. There's like some other oh, significant ones like 10 and 
you know, other things like that. But but three is one of the top ones. Not as hot as seven. Seven. But three. Yeah. And supposedly, from from some things that I found too in looking into this, is that at least in like Jewish scholarship and Jewish interpretations of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible, it tends to come up as a theme, though they're very clear that this message in Hosea, at least, is not about bringing someone back to life on the third day, which the New Testament wants to make like, you know, this is all about Jesus coming back to life and also Israel's going to come back to life on the third day. They're like, no, no, no. This is three of like, just we're going to get restored as a nation on the third day. Whether that's a metaphorical third day or a literal one, who knows? Hmm. Um, But kind of the idea is that three is sort of this number of like completeness. It's like Hmm. you have birth, life, and death or you have like a beginning, middle, and an end, or there were like three patriarchs. Uh, You know, it's like, there's kind of these, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, three is kind of a, just an easy number to manage. Yeah, Mm. It's nice to break things into three. When I think about like Western film, we have three acts a lot of the time. Yeah, And that's not universal for humans, right? Like other cultures have different act structures than ours, even though, you know, ours has started to dominate the world. Yeah, but, but anyway, I just thought it was interesting kind of looking into the number three and kind of how people... like. It's hard to find research on the number three that's not just about New Testament stuff. Hmm. Like I found so many cool. pages that was all New Testament references, but it was kind of interesting looking for, for older stuff just about like the three jewels of Buddhism, the three pure ones in Taoism, the triple goddess in Wicca. Uh, you know, there's like all these other threes that show up in different cultures around the world. And it's, it's just very interesting. Nice. Wow. Very cool. I, I, had a fa- I had a brief phase in high school where I got very into like numerology in the Bible. Oh, so maybe wow. that's, maybe I'm kind of tapping into that a little mm, bit. Fun. That's fun. Okay. I'm going to hit you with some dub slash pigeon knowledge. <laughs> oh boy. I can't <laughs> wait. I love this. Because this was a big theme of the episode. And <laughs> surprising, <laughs> surprisingly, we were talking about how to deceive pigeons. And you know what? Or dubs specifically, but they're the same yeah, thing. How do you deceive a dove? They're the same thing. Yeah. So, they're not that easy to deceive because despite oh. popular opinion, <laughs> they're super uh, smart. Oh. Wait, doves? I'm just going to hit you up. Well, slash pigeons, pigeons. Pigeons. They're like the same thing. Are doves and pigeons the same thing? Yeah, they're they related. Like one's white and one's not. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Is that really... Is that really true? That's not Wait, it. it. Yeah, it says, please also see doves. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm Googling, are doves and pigeons the same? Pigeons and doves are some 300 <laughs> species of near passerine birds and other columbiforms. Oh, the columbiforms. Oh, the columbiforms. Yeah, yeah. okay. The classic sure. columbiform. Sure. The term dove and pigeon are used interchangeably, although smaller species huh. are more likely to be called doves. Wow. Okay. There you go. Wow. I know. There you go. I had no idea. Wow. Okay. But listen to this, okay? The pigeon can re- recognize all 26 letters of the English language. What? They can be, what? yeah. What? Legit. <laughs> they can be taught relatively complex actions and response sequences and can learn to make responses in different sequences. They also can differentiate between photographs and between two human beings in a photograph. Goodness. They're a lot smarter than I've taken them for. Wow. Yes. Pigeons are amazing. <laughs> it says that in a, a study conducted in Kyo, K-E-I-O University in Japan, 
Oh, KO. KO. Yeah. Demonstrated that these smart birds could learn to distinguish between a Van Gogh and a Chagall painting. <laughs> oh, classy. Based on multiple feature cues, such as color and pattern. I couldn't tell the difference between a Van Gogh and a Chagall painting. <laughs> oh, c- c- come on now. Well, I think you come could. Come on now. You could, but still. Okay, fine. Okay, maybe I sell myself short. And they can remember a <laughs> I'm large... I'm at least as smart as a dove slash pigeon. <laughs> yes. They can remember a large number of individual images for a long time for example, hundreds of images for periods of several years. That's incredible. They also have far better eyesight than humans, even though they can see color in the same way that humans do, which is which is unique because, you know, dogs and cats can't. Right. Right. Pigeons can also see ultraviolet as part of the spectrum that humans cannot see. Uh, they can learn relatively complex actions and response sequences yeah, and, and, you know, be taught to make responses in different sequences. So they're super smart. Okay. Gosh. So you really have to go out of your way to deceive a pigeon is what yeah. I'm hearing. They're more like an elephant. They never forget. Yeah. And they have homing behavior. Yeah. Like homing pigeons, you yeah, know, that whole thing. Yeah. Like it's true. It actually is a thing. So all that I can say is... Don't look a pigeon in the eye. And also, maybe a net is the only thing that could catch it. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, too. is like, if you... You have to distract them. If you try to deceive a pigeon and you fail, they will remember you. Yeah, they will. Mm. They'll be like, I'm not going to get around that person again. And probably tell all their friends. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. They will tell all their friends. So... Yeah. It's sort of like, fool, fool a pigeon once. Shame on the pigeon. Fool a pigeon twice. No, fool. Fool a pigeon once. Shame on you. Fool a pigeon twice. Shame on the pigeon. I guess. They really should know better. Yeah. I think ravens are also super smart. So basically, we're dealing with two incredibly intelligent birds. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. But ravens are not clean. Any kind of them. I don't know. That's just, God just like picked something out of thin air. It was like, how about a raven? They squack, and I don't like that. They squack. I don't know. I don't know what his deal with ravens is, but I'm not going to assume. Anyways, okay. I came across this delightful article in The Atlantic called Everything You Know About Lodkas is Wrong, the shocking true story of a Hanukkah staple. (laughs) Wow. By Yoni Applebaum, which like all of that is... Amazing. My, my, just, I, I don't know if my brain is ready to be so blown. Yeah. Blown away. I'm going to try to back to back. Well, yeah, I know. I'm going to try to sum this up as well as I can. But essentially, when you think about a lodka, like, mm-hmm. what do you think of? You think of like a potato, you know, sure, like a, a fried yeah. potato. Delicious well, fried potato. Like a shredded and fried up yes. potato with a little bit of applesauce on the side. It's delicious. Excuse me? Yeah. Applesauce? What? Yeah, that's how it was always served to me. Jeez, have you heard of this? Yeah, I've, I've had it with applesauce before. Yeah, just on the side. Maybe a little bit of like sour cream. Yeah. Okay, well, I wouldn't eat it with either of those, but I just eat it straight out. Like maybe with some ketchup. It's a freaking potato. <laughs> Why are you putting applesauce in a potato? I think that's the more Jewish oh, thing to nice. do than ketchup. I don't know. This doesn't say anything about applesauce, but whatever. Maybe that's like a thing. Yeah, the Anyways, standard topping for latkes is applesauce and sour cream. I don't, I can't fathom both of those things in my head. Well, okay, hold on. I need to, okay, I need to come down on this. I need to come down on this right now because what? there's there was a rabbi, Rabbi Avram Mlotik, uh-huh. who specifically said, 
the moment that ketchup comes to the Hanukkah table, the latke is transformed into a hash brown and loses all spiritual significance. Got it. Well... You heard it here, folks. Do not put ketchup okay. on your latkes. I probably would just eat it like with some salt and pepper and call it a day, quite frankly. It's nice with the applesauce. You should really try I it. I can't even imagine. And that's vegan. I know. Yeah, I got to find some good apple, like no, it's good nice. organic applesauce and do one of those. Now I want to have some latkes. This has made me really hungry. Yeah, this does sound nice. <laughs> Anyways, the whole point of the latke is not the potato, it's the oil because, oh. it, it, you know, be, that's because it's a Hanukkah dish. And the whole point of Hanukkah is that you have the oil lasting for a long period of time. It's the oil. Oh. Yeah. The eight nights in the temple. That makes sense. Also, I didn't realize this, but do you know Judith? Judith is what Hanukkah, like they, the story of Judith is the story of Hanukkah. Oh, not the Maccabees? Well, yes. So Judah Maccabee also is conflated with it. And then all of the three get like pushed together. Even though apparently, according to this, Judah Maccabee and Judith were at different times in history. Gosh, that's confusing. Yeah, exactly. So another thing that I didn't realize is that a lot of people eat dairy goods during Hanukkah. Oh, Because apparently that weaves into the story somehow. Dairy goods do. We're really showing our non-Jewishness right now. No, I know. The custom was based on the story of Judith. She seduced a general named Holofrens who came at the head of an invading army by feeding him and plying him with wine. As he slipped into an alcoholic stupor, she seized his hair and hacked off his head with a sword. Whoa. Then she tucked it in with her picnic provisions, left his camp, and presented it to the people of her town to mount on the wall. The terrified invaders fled and the land was saved. So... And what does that have to do with latkes? Well, that was apparently part of a latke tradition was to like create latkes with cheese once upon a time. Wait, but hold on. Where does the head get involved? Yeah, she used... It was like cheese and wine. Did you say that? I thought you just said wine. I did, but it's... I feel like I'm tripping right now. Because... (laughs) Well, it's just because she used cheese to get the head. It says it's not... Okay, did you miss the part about the cheese? It's not in the standard text or in the ancient variants, (laughs) except for an obscure Syriac? (laughs) S-Y-R-I-A-C. Syriac version. The book of Judith like the book of one and two Maccabees, which relate the story of Hanukkah. It's not even in the Jewish Bible. As we know, it's an apocryphal text. All three, however, were included in the Bibles of the Catholic Europe. Woo. Whether through an unbroken chain of transmission or more probably as a story adapted from the version preserved by by the Vulgate, the tale of Judith began to circulate again in medieval Jewish communities. Hmm. So interesting. And basically, it says that in one of those versions, Judith feeds that dude that she cut off his head two pancakes salted and mixed with cheese. That version may have reflected an existing rabbinic tradition, but more likely inserted these details as allusions to other biblical episodes. So basically, people started eating cheese to honor Judith. Gosh. And thought they she was the sister or aunt of Judah Maccabee. Okay. It's a bunch of stuff. Bunch of stuff. I love. I love this kind of stuff. I love this. I feel like we're just in. I'm. We're just like it's such so out of our. Well, I'm out of my element right now. Well, I'm reading from the Atlantic, so take it up with um, 
I will. So-and-so Applebaum, Yoni Applebaum. I will do it. No, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm finding this on all sorts of other places, like Chabad.org. And there you go. there's like an NPR story about this. Like, no, it's this is, yeah, this is a thing. Judith, she's like kind of... A badass. Was sort of written, maybe written out of the story, then written back in and then written back out. Well, yeah. As I, happens to women often in this kind of stuff. But they also were saying that wow. the story of Judith is actually set hundreds of years before the time of the Maccabees, even though many scholars now believe it was composed in the... Hasamoan period. So there's nothing to connect Judah to Judith to Judah Maccabee, except for the similarity of their names. Wow. But they just kind of like conflate them all together, which is fun. And also latkes, <laughs> which <laughs> okay. are tasty. Yeah, let's go get some latkes. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I'm sure that was clear as mud, but there's a bunch of latke stuff. And you know what? Eat them however you wish. <laughs> Applesauce. <laughs> Cheese, but don't or, put ketchup on it. Okay, just, fine, I won't. I'll just salt and pepper that bitch and call it a day. I mean, unless you really just wanted hash browns, then you could put ketchup on it. I but other, but if you want latkes, want all don't of the above. <laughs> okay, yeah, I want to make a latke now. <laughs> right. You just have to like yeah. shred it, just shred the tuber, and then put it in a cake. <laughs> Do you have to like put some sort of binding agent? On the tuber shreds. I've, I've never made a latke, so I could not tell you. This is but. like like an alien writes a latke recipe. <laughs> you shred the tuber and then insert it into your cooking metal dish. Yeah. Sprinkle on a binding agent. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Or or an android. Do y'all watch Raised by Wolves? Watch it, it's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. looks like maybe some egg might be involved as the binding um, agent. I'll have so. to find a vegan latke respite. Re, resp- yeah. Respite. Or some matzo meal. That's probably okay. vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. Right. All righty. Wow. Well, that was a long one, but we learned a lot this week about so many random things. That's what Hosea has given us. He has given us some strangeness, but some brief and quick fun <laughs> and next week is it. That's it yeah. for Hosea. We're going to have a fun time. And then maybe we'll have a short quee. I don't know. We can have a little quee. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I haven't even thought about that. I guess we the could, shortest quee. We could do a quick quee. It's just going to be quee after quee. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's fine. I'm, I'm down. And Dedeker and I will try to like figure that out. But <laughs> anyway, we're looking forward to it. Thank you all for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>